I am out in my back lot that belongs now to someone else. Used to belong to my property long before I got my property. And it is filled with green grass and my horses are totally picking out on the green grass and I am picking out on the sun, the winter sun. And I'm very excited because I got sent some questions for discussion on podcast. Yay! And I just want to remind everyone that there's a million podcasts out there. And while I've done a lot of research and I have a lot of experience, I'm not the answer for everyone. So whoever I do help or may give you some company when you go, oh, I'm like that too. I'm, I'm happy to do that. And remember that if something doesn't make sense to you, doesn't work for you, maybe it's not right for you. So go hunting for someone else who might be more relevant, useful, etc. And the great thing about growing and learning and studying is you can change your mind. You can come and go. You're not in a cult. You're not obligated. And hopefully um, <clears throat> you will continue to pursue your own path no matter what. Oh, question is, what do you think is the biggest fear that people have in connecting with other people? And what is the most important thing someone can do to make make easier connections to others and have less anxiety about their relationships? I think the biggest fear people have is they will not be liked, especially if you're trying to connect with someone that you admire. Now, connecting with a barfly, connecting with a coke addict, connecting with someone you know is really dysfunctional, that's usually pretty easy. And I know when I was younger, I did connect with people who were kind of crazy, kind of in trouble, because it always made me feel stronger, better, more grounded. It wasn't conscious. It wasn't malicious. Like, I'm going to hang out with crazy people in order to feel better. I discovered that I did that through my own growth and going to 12-step meetings and looking more closely at my relationships. I think the question is better asked, what's the biggest fear in connecting with other people that you admire, respect, um, that you deem important, interesting, valuable, etc. And it is a philosophy that if you want to grow, hang out with people that are bigger and better than you. Even in business, they talk about, and I used to teach this, you want to become a boss, start hanging out with bosses because you're going to have to act and talk and be like a boss. You're going to have to go to the golf course if you're a guy. You're going to have to carry yourself a certain way. You can't show up subservient or cringing or in awe of people. In that movie, The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith, a really awkward scene that I could totally relate to was when he went to the racetrack with all the big spenders and was connecting with them and also trying to get business with them. And you don't invest with someone you don't know who, who isn't part of your family, in, at least in business, who isn't someone that you have some out of the business circle relationship with so you know you can really trust them. And how culturally awkward it was for a guy who was living in the bathroom with his son, homeless, becoming a stockbroker, and actually hanging out then with clients worth millions of dollars and trying to fit into their culture. And that was a really great example of enormous risk-taking. And granted, that was in the name of business, but it was also in the name of improving his life and improving the life for his son. And when I taught courses in college and a lot of the work I did around career development and developing a career portfolio, so here are students that typically failed other colleges, didn't even do well in community college and had to go to a private school because that was the only college that would take them because of grades and they had a lot to overcome. Not that they were unintelligent, but 
They came from rough backgrounds, bad homes. They had different learning styles that didn't work well in public schools and city colleges and state colleges. And one of the assignments was go hang out in Beverly Hills. Go have a coffee somewhere, talk to people, uh, go to a bar, go to a club somewhere and hang out with the rich people so you're not so embarrassed and ashamed to hang out with them. And also to get used to the culture, just like, for example, the Peace Corps gives people extensive training on how to be around other cultures. Well, being successful or being wealthy or being secure or confident, if that's not in your original culture, then you're literally doing a culture change. You're literally going to have to learn what rich people do talk about and don't talk about, what do white rich people talk about, what do black rich people talk about, etc. What if you're non-binary? How do you show up in a business culture with managers and bosses, etc.? And I'm not saying that you need to conform. I'm saying you're going to have to learn skills. Well, the same thing for just pure friendship. Let's say you're tired of hanging out with your dysfunctional friends and all the conversation is about their kids screwing up and their husband or their wife drinking and not paying the bills and people losing jobs and the grandmother abusing the grandchildren and after a while you're like I'm renting an apartment in hell I don't want to be here anymore but then hanging out with people better than you is going to be terrifying absolutely terrifying why well one thing is you're sure that they're going to find out that you're not one of them and you're you're a loser or you're worse off than them this is often covered over by an attitude of fuck you i don't need you anyway <laughs> but really what's underneath that is i'm so afraid of getting kicked out and being rejected that i'm going to kick you out first and reject you first the second part of this is when you don't have skills it's scary you get on the ice skating rink and you can't ice skate it's terrifying and even though it's fun, it's scary. You get on a horse first time. It's scary. So hanging around people better than you on purpose can be really scary. And how do you start to handle this? When you want to start changing who you are, you want to learn from other people. You can't just learn from books and podcasts and memes and stuff like that. I've always hung out with older people since my 20s. People, I mean, way older than me. I was 20, they were 70 or 60. And I've always hung out with people much smarter than me. And as often as possible, I would make it very clear that I considered it an honor to be with them and that I was so interested in learning from them as well as enjoying their company, both. I certainly wasn't going to hang out with smarter than me, older than me, wiser than me people that I don't like. That's, I don't know, maybe a little opportunistic. Maybe there's sometimes you need to do that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. If you're really ambitious and climbing up the scale in a business, you might, you might have to do that. Um, I have, for example, hung out with alcoholics in AA to learn about alcoholism. And I did hang out with a woman who was kind of a sociopath. She read a book called Princess Machiavelli, learning how to be a female dictator and political. And uh, she would say things like, <clears throat> keep your uh, friends close, keep your enemies closer, because it was a strategy of Princess Machiavelli. So I did kind of study her to educate myself as to how I could get hurt or used or abused by someone like her, but it wasn't friendship. And in that case, I certainly didn't say anything like, I'm hanging out with you to learn from you, and I also you know, like you, etc." So I actually will sometimes, or have in the past, more so now that I'm an elder myself, but I, I still have teachers, I still have people that I admire and respect, and I make it very clear that I am so grateful for what I'm learning from them and make it clear that I know that I'm learning from them and I'm not being subservient or a slave or licking boots or worshiping, nor do they ask me to do any of that. But I just make it really clear that 
whatever they want to teach me, I want to know. And I try as often as possible to bring up questions as well as express my gratitude and enjoyment for company. This is a really safe way to start because you're starting with someone who is going to accept the role of a mentor with you. If they're not, the moment you say that, if they don't want to mentor you, trust me, they will give you a reaction that's uh, some kind of a rejection, like, oh, I really don't have time for this, or I'm not really the person you should be asking these questions, you know, contact this person. It's a low risk reach out in this case. And where do you meet people that could be your mentor? Uh, the ski slope. <laughs> I actually met these guys at a ski slope and they took me skiing all day on the blue slopes my first time. And they waited for me and they were just so nice. They were both married. There was no come on. There was no abuse of the relationship. I have no idea why they offered to do it. But I said yes, and I had one of the best ski days I've ever had in my entire life following these guys all over the slopes. And they would encourage me. They'd wait for me. They'd cheer me on. And I guess they were just in a mood to pick up a, a newbie. It was amazing. So you don't have to start off with, uh, you know, a spiritual teacher, which might make you quake in your boots. You don't have to start off with a master chess player or start with something that's not too scary. Maybe someone who does art and you take an art class, either on Zoom or even in person. A lot of museums, a lot of colleges and stuff have art classes going on for adults for very little money. Maybe it's a cooking class. Maybe it's a woodworking something or other. Maybe you do volunteer work at a pet shelter. Maybe it's parents, uh, let's say uh, parents who have a difficult child and you have a difficult child or a difficult grandchild and, and you see how well they're doing and you might say to them, you're so good at doing this. Can you talk to me about how you, how you handle this? And, and then ask maybe to go to coffee and maybe you can be friends or friendly. So starting off with a mentor type person in mind and making a connection with them, not one that's too scary for you, but also not just a regular person. Because so-called regular people, we don't know what lies beneath. People have a lot of facades and getting close to someone around a topic, an issue, a skill, an interest, to me is a little less threatening than just getting to know someone cold and what do we talk about and and why am I hanging out with them and maybe my broken radar has picked a broken person because that used to happen to me when I was younger and I was broken my radar always found cuckoo people not always uh, I should say around mentors and teachers that wasn't true but uh, around normal people, anybody who was wounded and flailing around and spitting up blood, etc. Instantly, I took them under my wing and called them a friend, not called them someone I took under my wing. So I had to be very, very careful of that. The second part of this connecting to people and taking a risk with this is <clears throat> it would be really good to be able to do this with um, having some support, like having a teacher or uh, a support group that you can process this experiment with. You don't have to. I did this plenty of times without having any support, any person to process this with, but it is totally possible to do it on your own, but it's definitely easier to have someone to process it with. Now, be careful because sometimes if you're getting healthier and you try to stay connected to a family member, they're going to give you shit for breaking the family culture. Like I, I know people that when they went to college, their family ripped them apart. What, you're not, you think you're better than us? Uh, you know, getting a job isn't good enough for you. You have to go to college. And like, wow, no support there. <laughs> and 
especially in the field of psychology, a lot of times you're trying to get someone healthier and talk about boundaries. I've literally had people say to me, that's not real life. You know, that's what you do in a therapist's office. That's not how you talk to a person in real life. You know, in real life, you yell at each other and abuse each other and say whatever the hell you want. And they literally, they don't say it that way, but they literally believe that. So having a support person who will support you in breaking away from the dysfunctional family culture is really a good idea. Always, I go back to, for people who don't have money, plus if you have money also, 12-step programs because they're spiritual-based they're not psychology. And you can always find a sponsor. And sponsors are people who work their program by being of service to other people. And if you have a great sponsor, usually you can talk to them a few times a week. And you can process what you're doing with your sponsor. Great thing to do. The other part of this is that you are going to feel embarrassed, ashamed, stupid, ridiculous, less than at first because you're reaching out to someone that you look up to meaning you want some of the skills that they have you want the quality of relationship that they could offer that you've never had so you're going to be a beginner it's like saying i want to learn how to ski but i don't ever want to look like an idiot falling down on my ass and sliding down the hill well then don't learn to ski never going to happen that that you're not going to do that that's why having someone to talk over the stuff with, and I feel so stupid, and I made this mistake, and the person that you're getting close to, someone that you look up to or a mentor, you don't necessarily want to make them your everything. In other words, you don't want to be in a relationship with them and process being in a relationship with them with them. It's too much. It's way too much to begin with. To me, that's a very, very good place to start. And once you get used to surviving the uncomfortableness of doing new behaviors with a new kind of person, for some of you, it might be being with someone who's not drinking. <laughs> or um, I remember years ago, I was just so sick of eating. Everybody's like, let's go eat, let's go eat, let's go eat. I don't want to eat. I want to go for a walk. I don't want to sit around and eat. And besides, a lot of times I like to eat in silence and really taste the food. And I don't like being in a restaurant. It's too much noise and you don't really taste what's going on and you're not really eating. You're, you're doing like 14 things at once. It was way too overwhelming for me. And you would have thought I had told people that I hated them and they were rude and obnoxious and horrible simply by saying, I don't wanna go out to eat, let's do something else. Like go for a walk, <laughs> sit in the park. Um, I don't know, climb a mountain, etc. So it is hard. Um, and so part of starting with a mentor type person or someone you look up to and being able to say that's in part why you're hanging out with them is a great way to start. And then you can start getting bolder about feeling uncomfortable connecting with other people. And when you start working with other people, especially, you definitely want to go slow. Don't assume they're your best friend. Don't assume they want to get as close as you want to get. Don't assume anything. Ask a lot of questions. It helps me sometimes to think about that if I was getting friendly with someone who lives in Papua New Guinea or in the mountains of Peru, where their culture is so different that I have no clue of what their life is really like. If I treat another person like that, even if they're my same race or they're an American or so I think, instead of approaching it like, oh yeah, I know this person, I'm gonna approach each new person like, I don't know. I don't know who they are. Did they grow up poor? Did they grow up with violence? Did they grow up with both parents? Are they educated? So I'm very slowly and respectfully going to get to know this person. And as I get to know a little bit of them, I will reveal a little bit of myself. And I get to know a little more of them and I'll reveal a little bit of myself. And then I step on their toes and I don't even know it. Like one time I went to uh, shake an Egyptian man's hand and he almost fell over. This was at a workplace. 
And he said, oh, I'm just so sorry. I says, um, in Egypt, men, we don't touch women other than our wives. And I immediately just apologized and said, oh, no problem. You know, thank you for telling me that. And it was a great lesson. He's moved here from Egypt and he still respected his culture. And I didn't go home and beat myself up. I was so glad he told me and I was so glad it was a little blip. You get used to those blips. You get used to apologizing. You get used to asking more questions rather than making more assumptions. For example, another example, I had a group of Armenian students in one of the colleges I worked at. And the Armenian culture, like many cultures, if you are a beloved close friend, there's a lot of arguing. Like, you can't do this. Why are you doing You can't do this to me. How could you do this to me? What do you mean? What am I doing to you? For normal white people, this is considered antagonistic or aggressive. So I'm having this huge argument with the Armenian students, all of whom I know love me dearly, and I love them dearly. And my vice president comes up later and he goes, you cannot be arguing with students like that. And I was like, John, they're Armenians. This means we're getting along. We're bonded. This is a sign of respect and closeness. When you're not liked, you're treated very formally, very respectfully. It's like the door is shut, but they open up a little window to ask who's there, but they don't let you in. And this is true of many cultures. If you look at the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, you'll see among themselves how people are and out with other people who are not Greek. They don't argue and talk about underwear and bras and sex and who's going to wear this and the size of a penis or the size of breasts. And Italians, Jews, Armenians, Greek, uh, so many cultures. They talk about everything when you're family and family doesn't mean blood. It means you're in the neighborhood even. So pretend when you're getting to know someone new and different from you, like they feel like they're not the same culture that I grew up in and I wanna explore this. Pretend you don't know anything about how they grew up because in reality you don't. Just because they look like you and talk like you doesn't mean they are you. And you can ask after a while about certain behaviors. And most people, instead of getting offended, feel rather honored that you are respectful enough to ask questions about their culture rather than make assumptions. Such as, are the, are the women always the cooks in your family? Are the men always the breadwinners? You know, nice, safe little question. And as you get to know people, you can start to reveal things about yourself. Nice and slow. So practicing like this with, I would say, what we could call chosen targets, there is absolutely no reason not to do this very deliberately. It's not manipulative. It's not taking advantage is not using someone it's literally on purpose practicing new social skills other versions of this of beginning to connect with different people um, is dressing different for example if you always show up like in your sweatpants and baggy clothes and all of that there's certain people who just aren't going to open up too much because they're going to stereotype you and I know I learned this as a professor. I used to wear clothes that everybody jokingly called designer pajamas. They were Moroccan clothes. They were very loose and flowy, and I was very comfortable in them. And everybody thought I was like a hippie, and, you know, they knew I was weird for sure. But every time I had a faculty meeting, I dressed like a normal woman. High heels, uh, pantyhose, low-cut blouse, short skirt, briefcase, makeup, hair curled, and... I fit into our staff meetings then with the president, vice president, and I almost always got what I wanted because I showed up in the culture of the meeting. So you say, how does this relate to being my authentic self? Well, it's kind of like when you first get to know people, you, you get to know how they carry themselves in the world, and then after a while, you get to know them behind the scenes, but that takes a while with everybody. But if you show up all the time one way and you see people are stereotyping you, 
why not experiment with different dress? Why not show up in nice slacks, high heels, and a little jacket from the thrift store? Everybody is going to treat you differently, talk to you differently, etc. What does this do for you? It helps you find out a broader range of who you are. Like, I can fit in with the bosses. I like this kind of attention. I like coming off as an authority figure, etc. And while you might think it's superficial to dress up and change your appearance and why should that affect anything, it does. It really does. Just like, you know, we take the position women shouldn't have to hide their bodies in order to protect themselves sexually. Well, the truth is, in some neighborhoods, you do. And if you choose to ignore that and be a revolutionary and, you know, that's the, the hill you want to die on and, and go to court on once you get raped or robbed or abused, I support you. But make sure you know what you're doing. Because the reality is we do stereotype everyone. And if we see someone who looks like a hot number, she's going to be treated or he's going to be treated like eye candy. And if we see someone who looks like a boss, people are going to come up and ask that person questions. Boss questions, not can you go to bed with me questions. So experiment with dressing up differently in different places. Even going to the supermarket, you'll be so surprised what happens to you based on how you're dressed, just that alone. And that will help you discover more about who your authentic self is. Oh, gee, I like being treated like this. I like being treated like a little princess when I dress up and look girly girl. I like being treated like an authority figure when I wear a pantsuit, etc. And this will help you determine more of what you want in your life and how you want to be treated. It also makes you so much more flexible Meaning you can dress up and look like a boss and you can dress down and get down and dirty with the workers. Some of the best managers I know, they would be on the floor, so to speak, with people. They could do every job in the building they were working in and then they could meet with the big wigs in a suit. And so the big wigs really respected them and the workers loved them because they could work in both world. And that's actually what middle management is supposed to do, is be the bridge between the workers who don't want to bother with boss crap and protect the workers from upper management who often forget about the needs and the comfort and the well-being of their workers. This is a lot of fun to do. I cannot tell you how much fun it is to do. I worked in Hollywood for a while and I learned to dress in a way that was appealing to the rich and famous of Hollywood. I think people have heard me tell the story that I literally read, studied, and practiced small talk. I had no experience in small talk. And while I'm still not great at it, at least I can do it now. And people like small talk. It's a nice way to slowly get to know each other and to pass the time of day and not get too heavily involved. And to do it sober. A lot of people can't do it without drinking. I literally, when I'm learning these skills, I literally make a plan. I'm going to dress up this way on this day. And I'm going to notice what happens. And I write stuff down. And it's school. It's not that I go to school. It's my schooling. Because I want to expand myself as a human being. What if you're too scared to do any of this? My suggestion would be try a role play with a therapist, social worker, counselor, teacher, good friend, a kid <laughs> who will do it with you, uh, your sponsor. And if you're still too scared, then and that's okay then back off for now. Regarding the anxiety about doing this, there are ways to handle anxiety before you do something that's anxiety producing. One of the best ways is do something aerobic. Do jumping jacks till you get out of breath. Jump rope, run in place, do something aerobic 
right before you're going to go dress up, go to a job interview, or meet with a mentor, or ask someone a question, etc. Not in front of them, of course. If you, for some reason, can't do this, or that's not enough, maybe you need anti-anxiety medicine for a while. Okay, that'll get you over the hump. Maybe you need to visualize how it's going to go and talk about it out loud to yourself or write about it. In other words, there are ways to handle anxiety and to go through all the worst case scenarios before actually doing the scenario. Practicing being a human, practicing being different can be done. It's, it's scary, it's challenging, but what isn't? I mean, sometimes getting out of bed in the morning is challenging. You could also have a conversation with someone before you're about to meet someone and talk about all your anxiety. You can write a letter to spirit and burn it. You can research how to handle anxiety when meeting new people. There's so much information out there now. You know, there's Google and there's Google Scholar and there's podcasts and there's YouTubes. There's just a ton of stuff. The question is, are you gonna carve out the time and energy and make a plan and do it. That's what most people have a hard time with is treating this experiment as seriously as they might treat video gaming. <laughs> Meaning I really don't want to be this way anymore so I am, I'm going to set aside a time, I'm going to make a plan, I'm going to call somebody to handle my anxiety and then I'm going to try this thing at 12 o'clock on Tuesday. Or, you know, I'm going to dress up on Thursday when I go to the supermarket and see what happens when I show up looking like an executive instead of like my usual just rolled out of bed person. There is no shortcut for trying stuff. There just isn't. You can do all the visualization you want, all the affirmations you want, but at some point you're just going to have to do it. And you can also do it with someone. Say, come with me. You know, I'm going to dress up and I'm trying this and I want you to be with me. You can even try it with, you know, a, a teenager you're taking care of. They'll understand and they'll see a role model then of someone trying to learn new skills, being embarrassed, being afraid, and working through it. And what a great role model for them to learn how to do that. Another question, how can I become fearless when I'm full of anxiety? How do I let the tiger out that is inside of me, even if I'm fearful? Well, first of all, if you're fearful, that's not a time to let the tiger out because a scared tiger is a destructive tiger. And working with this idea of becoming fearless, I don't think you become fearless when you're full of anxiety. I think you are fearful and that's fine. And then that means you take tiny, tiny baby steps as much as you can handle. You don't overstress yourself with too big of a challenge at the first, the first attempt. It's too much. So the question I would be asking is, how do I regulate my emotions and do self-care when I am scared and full of anxiety. And sometimes what it means is little, such little baby steps that maybe um, you try to call somebody and then you hang up before they answer and then you continue to talk as if you got them on the phone and role play even by yourself. Sometimes it means you dress up differently and you get ready to go out the door and you don't go out the door because you're too scared and you turn around and write about it or call somebody and tell them how weird you felt that you dressed up in a pantsuit, a little bit of high heels, tamed your hair, did some makeup, pretended you were getting ready to go to a meeting or a job interview and you just puked and you had diarrhea and all of that. And you may have to do that like five times, 10 times. So what? So not, we, I don't think you become fearless. Courage means that you are afraid and yet you are still willing to take a shot. 
at it. That's what courage is. If you're not feeling afraid, then there's no courage. You're just fearless. You're just doing it. So the idea is to find the baby steps. And if you're still too scared, break it down into smaller baby steps. But you have to have a plan. I'm going to do this on Tuesday at 2 o'clock. Or I'm going to do this, you know, on a Sunday morning. And I'm going to leave a half hour afterwards for processing. To notice what happened and how I grew, what I didn't do, what I did do, what worked, what didn't work. And hopefully that you have somebody to um, process this stuff with or a group. And if you can't pull that together, then you're going to have to write letters to spirit and or talk to spirit, but very, very honestly. Mainly it is putting together the time to do these experiments and giving it your attention, your energy, your focus as if you were taking a class. Another question related to this, how can I let go of the fear of losing people I love so that I can keep loving them in a healthy relationship? Why is needing reassurance so painful? Why is openness so uncomfortable sometimes? Why is openness easier when we are detached? And why does the thought of detachment make me feel like I'm going to lose people? Oh, this goes on and on. What is the difference between detachment and avoiding connection to other people in life? Why does attachment make me feel like I'm living people behind? How can I be detached with others? And some I feel anxious about and others I'm okay about. I don't know if you can let go of the fear of losing people you love. It really comes down to after a while you've changed enough that your own well-being takes precedence over your fear of losing people. A woman or a man who gets their bones broken by an abusive person is still afraid of losing them and very often won't leave for years and years and years. That's because their priority is feeling connected to someone else takes way more priority than feeling connected to themselves. And that is not an overnight change where it becomes, I'd rather lose this person than suffer through this relationship that is dysfunctional. And because I've changed like that, now I'm willing to try to change this relationship knowing I might lose it. Every time you set a boundary, you might lose a relationship. That's how fragile it is with people, especially if they're not people in recovery. As for detachment, detachment isn't not feeling. Detachment is feeling so connected to yourself and so connected to source that everything else becomes secondary. It's kind of like when you get really, really, really sick you're able to do things for yourself in order to feel better that you couldn't do when you weren't sick. In other words, we can get away with mistreating ourselves a lot until our lives get threatened either psychologically, spiritually, mentally, or physically. And then suddenly our priorities change. Everybody has a breaking point. Everybody has a bottom on every single subject. And getting to that place where you are more attached to a connection with someone that you're willing to give up self-care, you're willing to give up your relationship to yourself, even to spirit, you're willing to self-betray, there's a lot of whys for that. But the main point is once you realize that you might be doing that, it's going to take a couple of years to reorganize that. Learning to love yourself 
to treasure yourself, to cherish your life, to see value in who you are in spite of all your mistakes, your shortcomings, your weaknesses, your mishaps, etc., which usually you forgive everybody else for that shit and still love them, but not yourself. It takes a while because it's an energetic as well as psychological reorganization. And it's not something that can be answered in one question because it's a process and everybody's process is completely different. My suggestion always with so much fear and anxiety is work with groups. You work with one person, you're still going to be secretive, you're still going to be guarded, and you're going to make up all sorts of stories about you and this one person. But being able to fall down in front of a group, like a 12-step group or group therapy, being able to recover in front of that group, being able to, for example, uh, let's say you've stolen a bunch of money and now everybody at your church knows that and now you hate everybody at the church. Why do you hate them? Because they know about you. Well, it's a really big, grown-up, mature skill to keep showing up at that church and not give a shit about what they think, that you stole money and you went to jail or you went to court. That's a grown-up skill. Now, if you, it's just between you and your pastor and you and your priest or you and your therapist. It's your dirty little secret and no one ever has to know. And you're still going to be someone who's filled with shame and guilt and remorse and hides who you really are and lies to everybody so they don't find out your dirty secret. But being able to show up again and again at a group where they know about you and maybe you set a boundary like, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Or, I'm not that person anymore. Or, I don't like your attitude about that. Or, thanks for supporting me so much while I made a complete ass of myself and did shitty things. So group work is desensitization. And the people who most need the group work are usually the ones who absolutely refuse to open their mouth in front of a group on a regular basis. I have no other answer for that. I don't know any other way to get through that. Now, the group could also be your family, but if you come from a really dysfunctional family, that's not going to be really helpful. <laughs> they're going to try to take away your pain. They're going to make it all better for you, or they're going to shame you and guilt you and, and treat you like shit. So sometimes family and friends can be your group, but sometimes they cannot be your group. And this is related to the idea of, you know, why do I need so much reassurance and why am I so attached to that? Well, if you're not self-soothing, self-reassuring, if you're not able to uh, see the good in you, yeah, you're going to need a gas station and that gas station is going to be other people. And therefore, it's a good chance that you might be someone who uses people a lot in order to get your gas tank filled up. Like you're sweet and kind and wonderful and charming and you give presents and you're friendly and social and you're the life of the party and yay! Because then everybody's going to admire you, especially if you are a high-value target, such as you might be seducing and charming your pastor or your spiritual teacher or somebody that you think is like, you know, amazing and has more value than a normal human being so that getting them to say that you're wonderful and fabulous and giving and kind and funny and blah, blah, blah is going to have a lot more meaning than uh, your Uncle Johnny thinking that about you. Got to gather up my horses here. I've been eating for a long time. They're getting fat. Too much green grass will give my belly ache. Some of this stuff is, there's, there's not a simple answer. It's like, how do I lose weight? Well, everybody's different. And there's some general principles to follow. And the bottom line is, you just have to do it. Whatever the it is that you decide to do, that's going to be your program for losing weight. And trying to give a generic answer, a one-size-fits-all answer, is only going to make things worse.
I think one of the things that people don't do and could do is pick one thing at a time that's a priority. Like at one point, priority for me was learning small talk. Working in Hollywood with really rich and famous people, and they like to socialize a lot, and there's a lot of social hierarchy and a lot of ways of behaving that belong to that crowd, and I needed to learn it, so that's what I did. I went shopping for different clothes. I learned to put on makeup. Someone taught me. I think I was 35 or something, and I, I learned how to kind of look more girly and be charming, and I actually shadowed someone and watched what she did and found my own version of it, and I made it a priority. And when I wanted to learn boundaries, I set up a program. I had a sponsor. I told all my best friends that I was going to be practicing boundaries and could they tolerate me saying no to them and then maybe calling back and saying yes. And that I might be a little cuckoo about all of that because it was so scary. I put everybody who was close to me on notice and I did just that. I didn't do that and try to go to graduate school, lose weight, start a new relationship, and get a horse. (laughs) In other words, I just did that one thing, kept everything else in my life up and running, but didn't try to do too much at once. I also set up like a course of study and told people about it and tracked it and shared about it and looked at it and wrote about it and meditated, etc. One thing, like a class. So choose a starting point and be prepared to be scared and puke, vomit, uh, cry, fail a lot, like Pema Children talks, fail, fail again, fail better. Absolutely. <laughs> and If one way doesn't work, try another way. And if you fail and you can't try again, then don't. You'll try again at some other date when you you can so that your experiment, your trying, doesn't become brutal to yourself. And there is a fine line between being brutal to yourself and we can do hard things. Because we can do hard things, we'll feel brutal sometimes. Like speaking up, setting a boundary, having an argument, a healthy argument with someone for the first time. This can almost feel like self-abusive. And it will take a little bit to sort it out, which is again why you might want to have a group or a mentor to, oops, there's the wind, to help you sort out these things as you're going through them. After a while, you'll get used to going through learning curves and you'll be able to tell more and more and more when it's brutalizing yourself and when it's a a normal freak out learning curve. In the meantime, if you continue to have unhealthy relationships and you continue to need a lot of reassurance and validation, so be it. You don't have to shame yourself for it. You can just say, this is where I'm at right now. I just... I need uh, to run around with a teddy bear for the next two years. I need to not talk to people. I'm too afraid to ask for help. I can't handle this or that. But not to say it in a way like you are the stupidest, worst human being in the world. That becomes now brutality. But if you say it with compassion, like my cat, I have a new cat and she's so scared. So, you know, I'm letting her stay in the house 20 hours a day. Okay, you don't say that stupid fucking cat. You know, one day she'll get her shit together. But for now, this is what I've got to put up with. You don't talk like that about the cat. So don't. Um, Appropriate amount of fear. Um, Am I learning? Am I beating myself up? And it'll be messy the first few times you do this. You might go back and forth. I need to stop. This isn't working. Well, wait a second, I stopped and now I feel worse. So I think I need to keep going even though it feels really, really uncomfortable. And and that's how it is. Messy. Think about it. What's the worst that's going to happen? People are going to think you're a little off. You might feel a little off. You might feel a little cuckoo. So what? 
I mean, most people I know drink these days, so they're never embarrassed if they drank too much. They, it's always kind of cool. Yeah, we tore it up at the bar or at the party. And yet they're embarrassed when they try to set a boundary and everything goes a little bit sideways. Try and do something healthy. For fear, any kind of fear, we have to do baby steps that will desensitize. And there's no shortcut around that that I know of. You can pray all you want. And you might get a lot of support from spirit, at least for a few times. But then I promise you, spirit will step away and ask you to do it on your own. Like, okay, we held your hand. That's good. And now, let's see you do it. You know, all by your big self. That doesn't mean spirits abandon you. It means spirit thinks you've grown up enough that you can now handle this. Hold on, orange is going into the refrigerator. Picked off the tree. Everything is good. <laughs> and if you think there's a pot of gold at the end of all of this, I would say you're going to be really disappointed. There's no pot of gold. What there is is a qualitative difference. And it's so subtle that sometimes it may take you a while to notice that you're no longer apologizing for everything you do. It might take you a while to notice that you are suddenly being social with people and it's not freaking you out. It creeps in, this kind of change. It's not like a big ta-da moment. Sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's just, when did I stop hiding in the back of the room? When did I start talking up? When did I start setting boundaries? When did I start getting angry with someone when they were being a shit to me? Like, when did that start happening? You don't even know. And you definitely want to mark that for yourself so that you know that your efforts got you to this place. Your efforts along with spirit. And when I say along with spirit, meaning that we're asking for guidance and help, that doesn't mean you're always going to feel the guidance and help. Another thing you're going to have to get used to is apologizing because you're going to screw up and also not giving up. Like you might go, screw this. I'm never coming back or fuck this diet. I'm never doing it again. Okay. My suggestion would be, you know, four days later, if you've decided it was a mistake to quit or screw up, come back. If it's a year later, come back. My fountain. I'm going to leave you with the sound of running water because that's the path, isn't it? <laughs>